All right, roll for initiative. The only way to win is to have fun with my friends. I'm on a roll again. Tabletop, lot motion, everything in between. Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you. We just have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win a role-playing game is to to have have fun. fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is Carrie, the legend. Hello, hello. And Jason, the favorite. Hey. (laughs) Well, we have a Patreon for people to help uh, support the show. And if you back us at uh, the wizard level or higher, you get shout outs on the show. But you can also back at other levels to get uh, free stuff like postcards every season. And we do, uh, you can get art prints and you can get, uh, you know, a copy of my book and some other things. But the coolest thing is you can get shout outs on, on our episodes. And so. Carrie and Jason, would you like to tell us who our patrons are? Yeah, these are everyone at the wizard level. We have Josh Heath with Werewolf the Podcast. Oh, man, I'm so glad he is never on this show. Oh, yeah, that'd be terrible. (laughs) I need to call him. I don't know what he's doing. All right, we also have Joel Eastland. Yeah, I don't need to call him. I don't know him that well. I I can call him. Okay. Salim Hollaby. Oh, Salim Halabi. Halabi, I was close, close. enough. You Keep were, going. You're super close. All right, we got Ryan Martin. Yep, I will call him. Maybe right now. Oh, no. We have Drew Stevens. Yay. I'll message Drew. He's the guy I always message if I can't figure out a mechanic. He right. doesn't necessarily help, but. I, but I he's, he's who it. you talk to. Yeah. Okay. We have Ryan Galliato with Byways LARP. Yeah. yeah. Mm, lots of live events on Facebook. Yeah. And then Cameron Today- Pruitt, my favorite. All right. What about Noah Coltrip? I'm glad you asked. Uh, this week, Noah Coltrip is visiting the giant watering can and flower pots in hmm. Staunton, Virginia. See, Willie Ferguson of Ferguson's Metal Fabrication in Staunton, Virginia. Uh, either has, he either has really tall friends or he's really into giant gardening equipment. Either way, this metalwork artist created this giant watering can and matching accompanying flower pots to grace the intersection of where I-64 joins I-81. These mm. giant lawn ornaments created quite a controversy when they were first installed back in 1999. But today, they're a giant city landmark. It's only a seven-hour drive for us. Let's go meet him there. (laughs) That was traveling music. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> need a map for like points connecting. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then finally, we have the patron saint of the podcast, Sarah. Sarah. If you'd like a shout out on the podcast, we'd love to give you one. And you can get it by going to patreon.com slash honor roll podcast and becoming a patron of the show at the wizard level or higher. Yay! When last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting here on this Zoom call recording a podcast, and today we're sitting here on this Zoom call recording a podcast. Um, so are very predictable. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What you been up to, Carrie? Well, I somehow in the past week ended up with six commissions. Nice. Yay! Mm-hmm. I finished one of them, so I am done with all gun belt art. Yay! Ever, Forever. ever, ever. <laughs> You're not allowed to be like, oh, I missed one because I'm done. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I've got five commissions to do, and Inktober started today. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Jason? What you been up to? I started watching this uh, YouTube channel called How to Drink about making cocktails. So I've been making a lot of cocktails. <laughs> So good. Do you drink them? Oh, yes. <laughs> Which one did you make I deliberately tonight? make cocktails that other people don't like. Oh. What's your What's your favorite you've made so far? Oh, uh, my favorite cocktail of all time is the Tom Collins. It's, it's perfect. It's delicious. It's fizzy lemonade with a little bit of gin and, you know, that junipery citrus flavors of the gin married to uh, a fresh lemon and a little bit of sparkling water and simple syrup. It's beautiful. Is this and one you of those- throw anything into it and it just makes it better. Like I've used a little cherry syrup. I've used mint, I've used cucumber, just anything. Oh, it's so good. Is this one of those things where, uh, where you're drinking a lot more now because your gallbladder is gone? No, no, I was doing that before. <laughs> it's more like i'm uh i've just like you know what it's like to be crazy bored with your job no yeah well i do (laughs) all right so what have you been up to what have you been doing ryan (laughs) everybody wants to know do we're all desperate well uh you guys probably i think we talked about this that it was coming up but i took last week off of work to exclusively work on the gum belt and so you're completely done so no no uh but uh every you know every day from i don't know it was probably 9 30 to 5 i went to uh um went to a friend's office and and worked and i thought you were gonna say lassiter's which no. is your local coffee house that you know no because i didn't really want to be normally like if it was not the middle of a pandemic i would have done that. sure but yeah. but i'm not gonna sit in a in a restaurant per se now so uh but anyway um you know got got quite a bit done uh i'd tell you how many words i wrote but it would not sound like much Ten. uh it was what Ten, 10 words. I wrote 10 words. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, I only, so, I mean, I don't care. I, I only wrote about 10,000 words. Sure. And, but the, the big accomplishment was the, the first day in particular, I, I lost, like didn't get hardly any words written because that first day there was lots of strategy in figuring out how to make the, the history, the storytelling of the history in the game to work. And so that was mm-hmm. kind of kind of complicated and, and so there was a lot of navigating of that and stuff but anyway once once we got through that stuff started to move a little faster and things and uh 
And so it was good. And then, um, and the other thing is in Emancipate Cleveland news, we got picked up by BuzzFeed, which is really yeah. cool. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of exciting. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go to combat rounds. All right, welcome to Combat Rounds. Today we are super excited uh, because uh, it's Thursday and our show's late, so that makes us super excited. It does. Uh, but also, we are joined by Josh Heath. <gasps> Hello, Hi. everyone. Hi, Josh. Yay! Hi, Josh. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to be here. I'm always happy to talk to you folks. I so that's a lie, but I appreciate you trying. <laughs> he likes me. <laughs> So, uh, Josh, before we get into the meat of the hour, uh, <laughs> what the hell? I'm just I'm talking about Jason. Mm. Uh, before we get into the the discussion, uh, what have you been up to? Tell us about like you just had a Kickstarter go fulfilled and and stuff. What tell us? Yeah, I did just have a Kickstarter uh, succeed, which I was very excited about because it barely made it, but it made it. Um, That's all that matters. I was running a a Kickstarter for an adventure that I wrote about three years ago. And um, this adventure is kind of focused on restorative justice and some stuff like that. So I'm releasing it under my Roar Pig or Reach Out role-playing games imprint. But it, um, it raised its money, so I'm very excited about that, and I have the rights back to it, so I'm excited to be publishing it, and uh, it'll be it'll be good. So, yeah, looking to get that out there. Cool. Is it a, like a, a D&D 5th Ed? It is, yeah. D&D 5th Edition compatible um, called Dealing With Your Demons. Cool. So if people yeah. listening want to check it out, are, is there a place they can do that at yet? Not yet. Uh, we're not going to put out a backer kit or anything like that. The project didn't do high enough for that to make any sort of sense. Right. So um, eventually it's going to be on drive through RPG. Hopefully in the next three or four months, I figure it'll be on drive through RPG and people will be able to buy it. Okay. Well, do us a favor. And when, when that happens, make sure that you let us know or share the link in our Facebook group so that you know folks are listening can, can go check it out because that's super cool. Yeah, absolutely. You should run it for us. I would love to do that. Oh, no. Oh, you know we should. Yeah, that'd be cool. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Neato mosquito. That's how we do stuff. I'm yeah. Like, on the air. Pants. This we is how we on a roll. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today our topic oh. is, is genre and canon. Oh. And so we've been wanting to do this for, for mm. about a month. Uh, back at the beginning of September, Josh posted a very controversial uh, <laughs> he posted a Facebook post where he made a statement about uh, Canon and it kind of, you know, he got a bunch of comments and stuff to the point where he almost, he, he told us before the show, almost even changed his mind about what he said. Uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do that, let I think we should first maybe lay the groundwork uh, for folks just to kind of establish what we think genre and, and Canon is. So, uh, so, Josh, I'm going to let you start first since this is your fault. Uh, <laughs> Way to go, Josh. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Let's talk about what is genre. Let's just start there. What's genre? Sure. Genre is the basic theme, feel, and mood of a game setting. It's the uh, ideas behind whatever your game is kind of built upon. 
um, that's kind of my explanation of genre, but it's a pretty poor one. So I don't know if anyone has a better one. No, no, that's better than what I was going to say. I was going to be like, imagine you were going to paint a picture. <laughs> genre, and I'm sorry, not, yes. Genre is the color of paint you have. It's like, these are the paints I have. This is what I'm going to make it out of. And then everything else is based on that. Or the tropes, the tropes, the, the, the core tropes that we're going to use to to tell the story with. Okay, so I always kind of thought that the genre is kind of like the elevator pitch. Okay. It can be. You know, just, you know, the, you know, gothic punk. Oh, I know what that is. Okay. Yeah. You know, like the real quick one sentence. I think. Punch you in the face. I think that genre actually has a little bit of like two definitions. Because I think that as gamers, we use the term wrong, which means it's got a new definition. So I think at its core, I think genre is exactly what Josh was saying. It's like the type of art that this is, right? Like this piece of art is what type, what is the genre of this art? It's, it's a Western, it's a science fiction. It's a, it's an abstract, you know, I mean, cause these are, these are the genres. Uh, but when we game, we tend to also think of genre as the, the possibilities that can occur in character. Right. Because, for example, in werewolf games, one of the things that we used to hear in werewolf LARPs all the time in orgs was like uh, nine, 19 people from a game. uh, It was always a game in Florida. 19 people from a game in Florida would all go. They would all go to the abyss and they'd all like, you know, drink from the Silver Lake. And then all 19 would all 19 would come back and everyone would go. Well, the idea that that nobody died really goes against genre. Right. And it's not it's not. And we'll get to canon in a second, but it isn't violating canon. It's violating the feel of the possibilities of the game. But it's sort of a colloquial use. Right. Because it's not really what the word is intended to be used. Right. But it would probably be better to say that that seems to go against the feel of the game or the flavor when you were. But we don't. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't. (laughs) <laughs> so I, so that's kind of my, my addendum to that. Otherwise, like, I think Josh is, is right on, but, but there is just this, way to go, Josh. it's this, <laughs> the possibilities, the, the expectations, the way things are supposed to interact that aren't necessarily, uh, clearly defined by what would be the canon of the books. It's kind of like how we imagine the gray areas that, that aren't fleshed out. It's kind of, that's what we think of as, as the genre in role-playing games. So you're making thought. So what about canon? So canon. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to let Josh start again. Cause again, it's kind of your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so canon is the official word of the scripture of the book. Like whatever the books say is true about the game or true about the plot in particular is true throughout everything that you do. Now that's, Canon is something that I think is used really well when referring to like a book series or a movie series or a TV series, but I think it's not well intended to be used for role-playing games. So Canon in a, if, for example, if we're talking about the science fiction genre of Star Trek, Canon is the stuff that happens on screen in the series and the movies. Right. Exactly. But the stuff that happens in like the fan fiction Kirk and Spock slash story that Carrie wrote, 
not really, but like that no, would really. not be, but really? that's not, that's not canon because it's not like official, official truths of the universe. Right, but some people would argue that it was clearly genre. <laughs> it could have been, yes. Yeah. I mean, no, the looks they gave each other, come right. on. And so, yeah. and that's where this gets about, confusing. Yeah. Now, what's interesting to me is, is Lower Decks <sighs> canon? Uh, you know, according to the company, Lower Decks is canon. I believe, I believe, I firmly believe that in the next five or six years, Lower Decks will not be canon anymore. Probably. It's actually insulting. Like, Gene Roddenberry <laughs> would be mortified. And, like, that actually means something to me. Like, that's important. I, Gene Roddenberry would be like, you just made a fart joke? This is Star you, Trek. So what you don't think you would be comfortable with people taking the piss out of his show, out of his setting? But but that's just curious. I, I don't know if enough it about was him a parody. Say. Yes. Okay. But this isn't a parody. This isn't a parody. And, it's canon. And it shocks me that all of these people that are connected to Star Trek on professional levels are going, "Oh no, this is great." Arr. I think like, it's my problem with it is that it's mostly ten-year-old humor. Um, and I feel like Star Trek's better than that. But that is my genre, though. But but that's what I was gonna say is that <sighs> Lower Decks, to me, while it is canon, it violates genre. So you're that werewolf player who says bullshit. In, in this instance, you did not go to Herbert. Okay, but Josh <laughs> is shaking his head yes too. So I'm not alone in this. So th that's kind of the interesting thing about genre and canon is that they can often be the same things. And they can also often be not at all. <laughs> and then sometimes what is canon is a genre. And sometimes what is canon is not in genre mm -hmm. and vice versa. <laughs> sometimes genres in canon and sometimes what's genre is not in canon. And so, mm -hmm. um, so that's what kind of makes the whole conversation sort of, uh, you know, pretty, pretty out there. I think genre has more to do with how we interpret canon Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't all kind of extrapolate the same sort of uh, conclusions about those gray areas. We don't connect the dots that are written in the books the same ways. I was going to say, it's not my fault. You can't feel the energy between Kirk and Spock. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's there. So, <sighs> All right. So tell us, Josh, what tell us what you said that caused this horrific episode of our podcast Gosh. <laughs> so what i'll do uh, i'll give you the background to what started me to write what i wrote and oh. then i'll tell you what i wrote also okay we like so stories i see on particularly the world of darkness fan groups on facebook conversations constantly where someone will come along and say i want to run this game and does it violate the canon to run it this way? And I've seen so many of those posts or so many conversations devolve into, you can't run that because it's against canon in one way or another, that it drove me to the point where I was like, the point of role-playing games isn't canon. And that was the, the gist of my post was, role-playing games do not have a canon. They are simply a suggestion for how you might run your particular game. So your your 
assessment is canon is a suggestion. I don't even think canon exists in role-playing games. I don't think it can <laughs> exist in role-playing games. I because think, once it's at the table, it's totally different. Go ahead, Carrie. I, I think that that is a fair statement for a tabletop game that is not connected to any other games. Well, there's a key. There's a key piece here is I think that these answers are going to be different mm-hmm. in an organiza- in organizational play versus at your table. Yeah. Um, sure. Because I do think so. I, I do think Carrie's right. In an so let's what? go ahead and just let's chuck this out real quick. So in an organization where you have multiple games in multiple places playing, having some sort of accepted thing as what canon is becomes really important because those games, if they're expected to interact, then the the realities of that universe need to at least somewhat match up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ends have to meet a little bit. So so this conversation is really actually going to be more about, you know, your individual tabletop. And I will say that even in that situation, I agree with Josh. Canon in the books is still a suggestion. It's just one that when the game begins, just like in a tabletop game, we should all agree on. And we can agree on it by saying everything in the books is canon. Or we can agree on it by saying, here's what we've decided as a group is canon. And these are the places where there's gray areas that you can expand upon it. Well, now we're into that whole difference between genre and canon to gamers. So to talk about in an org, like for me, in an organization, the worst, most dangerous, damaging word to any any org is genre. And the reason I said... It's true. And here's why. In an org, you end up with uh, the nobody's no, there's nobody's ever heard the phrase you're a canon Nazi, you know, or <laughs> you're you're a canon police, right? But we have all heard you're a genre Nazi or you're genre police. Now I I I'm only saying that because because genre Nazi is a phrase that that we've all heard, not because that's what right. I call it. I, I don't like that they call it that. But I actually I actually think that that term isn't used as much anymore. I hope not. I hope yeah. it's gone away. But um, for a long time, that's that's what it was called. So these but we're going to say police. So the genre police like we've all heard of genre police in orgs, but like you never hear of a canon police. And so and that's because although now I have this great image of a player dragging a cannon into game to argue that's a boffer larp (laughs) doesn't matter i like the image so but but Mm -hmm. in an in an org though uh you know because canon is published in a book Mm -hmm. right if you can go through the books and find a place where something is canon in the book then everyone agrees and accepts that it is in the genre of the game but unless it's bad, <laughs> unless they house rule it. But even mm. then, they've accepted that the canon is that that line of text doesn't exist in our universe. Right. But um, but they have to use that baseline so that all the games will connect. Um, but genre is the thing where everybody interprets those gray areas different. And uh, um, and so you have these genre police who like fight and fight and fight because the, the sanctity of this universe uh, and how it's run, you know, is is central to the core of of our being and all this stuff. And uh, 
you know, if, if something's out of genre, then it's got to be, you know, corrected and the people who did it need to be punished and it's a violation and all this stuff. And I know I was, I was a genre police once, you know, Carrie once? used to, you uh-huh. didn't get as mad as I did, but she was genre police too. Like, um, especially over games in Florida. <laughs> well, beca- because what would happen, I was in a, we were in an org that was connected to those games and they would all go to Erebus and then my players would say, well, I want to go to Erebus and I'd go, no. Because if you go to Erebus, <laughs> you're, no, you're not, not going to come back. back. And then I would have to deal with my players being mad at me because I was sticking closer to canon than the other yeah. game was. And so our genres weren't the same. Right. The feel wasn't the same. And that and that would create that creates problems in an org. Mm-hmm. But I've uh, now today in an org, my feelings are a little different. Today, I kind of feel like uh, I lean back towards this idea of the podcast, which is where, you know, the only way to win a role-playing game is to have fun. And so if the way you're interpreting genre in this case Erebus is letting you and your players have fun, then then my job is to look at my game and and sort of just ask, does this really matter in Tennessee? <laughs> like you're in Florida. Does it really matter here in Tennessee? Can I just have a five minute talk with my players and just go, you know what? They're having fun, whatever. Just know that that's not, that's not what we think is fun. And so that's not how we're going to run it and just let them do it. Whatever. It's just a stupid game. And there are bigger things for us to be upset about than, you know, Bob went to Erebus and didn't die. Whatever, who cares? So, I care. I didn't get a souvenir. Yeah. yeah. I don't want a clay from the clave tree, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, is is it ever going to actually, actually enter your game and cause a problem is really what you've got to ask. Mm-hmm. But, so, but at your table where you don't have to coordinate with other games and have some semblance of, of similarity to, to what you're running you know, does, is canon a suggestion or, or is it what you have to run? So Josh, what would, how do you feel about this? Obviously you had the original idea. No, it, it, it's not even a meaningful term. Yeah. So I still think even in organizational play that you create a canon or you decide a canon. I think you made a good point about that earlier, Jason, is that the organization decides its own canon but the books themselves are not a canon. They are only a series of suggestions that you can then decide to make canon at your own table. Mm-hmm. But can't, or your own organization. But can't the organization decide this is our canon? Yes. Okay. Just so like your table. It's just actually, the size of the table that's the difference. So you're right. actually going a step farther back is what you're doing. Like where, where we were talking a minute ago, we're just tracing things back to the books and just already assuming that the org has decided that what is in the books is canon. But what you're saying is you don't have to start there. You can actually start your org with the conversation of do we want to do what's in these books or not? Yeah. And sometimes you choose like there was a LARP that I was involved in years ago that um, came out before a Dark Ages book came out. And the Dark Ages book that came out contradicted to their canon of the game. But they said, hey, that book is not in canon for our game because it came out after we started our story, which 
is totally fine. And that is a completely valid way to incorporate material from a role-playing game and decide, is this canon? Is this not? How does this impact us? Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, I've been in the same boat years ago with, uh, it might've actually been a Dark Ages game too, <laughs> where when the book came out, everything was different. And we just said, well, the hell with it. We're having a good time. This is what we want the game to look like. So it's what it's going to look like. I also think it's very useful, especially for um, orgs, but even at your local table to decide what's true in your universe as a separate step for like your game zero or whatever you want to call it. Uh, because how many, how many times have we read about people who read the books, become obsessed with what's in there and, and, and feel like they can only have fun if it adheres to that completely. If at the very first session you get it out of the way, okay, I'm going to be running these things differently. Um, so now is the time to decide if that's something you like or have input on it. And then we as a group canonize it. I, I think that's true in orgs too, that there should be more than just one person, but that's a whole nother conversation. I think it's important also to note that it's okay if you're if you're running a game to go, hey, I'm running something different, but not tell them. You know, if you want yes. your mermaids to all be uh, uh, magical, happy, whatever, you know, then you don't, but you want the players to find that out, that they're not actually going to be sirens sure. and pulling them into, you know, off the boat. Then just say, I'm going to be running something different. You know, bear with me while we get there. I'm hoping this is going to be a fun little twist for you. That's all I you actually think is it. I think it's very useful for two different reasons, too. One, in the world of darkness, we all know every secret that's been published. Yeah. Every right. player, if you've been playing for more than a couple of years, you know almost everything. Either you read it or somebody told you or you saw it on a wiki or something. So, it's not useful to have secrets then because everybody knows them. So to me, the default should be that the secrets are changed because uh, that is meaningful. And then the characters get the players get to experience discovering these secrets. Cause otherwise they don't not really like, Oh, I've learned this thing. Well, I really already knew that, or I've discovered this new secret, but you know, it's not true. So you role play differently because you know, it's a lie. You know somebody's telling you a half-truth because I read the book. I know exactly what the truth is. <laughs> One of the interesting things about World of Darkness orgs, though, is that – and this kind of is a, is a funny irony given uh, what we, we've been talking about with Josh is, is that um, orgs, especially World of Darkness, tend to, to be very, like, particular about, you know – the canon of these books, you know, and they accept all of them except when they don't like, uh, if you have, when they don't, it, yeah. Like if you have a game that, uh, joins your organization and they happen to be based in and the game happens to be based in Chicago, suddenly the Chicago by night book might not matter so much because they've got their own history and the org just goes, okay, whatever. Yep. You have to, you have to, uh, canon is, is religious doctrine, you know, till it's not. So it's not. <laughs> I also think it's something that's important for tabletop games. First of all, if say you're running something with a lot of canon, uh, like World of Darkness games, you want to change the secrets for the same reason as before. But also a lot of people run boxed adventures. And I can't tell you how many times I've read about people saying, I'm running a boxed adventure and somebody's already read it in my group. And even when they try not to, they are spoiling the surprises for themselves and sometimes for the rest of the table. 
So if your default is that you're always changing things a little bit, I think it makes the game more enjoyable for everybody. And so slavish, slavish uh, adherence to canon uh, ruins that fun. I think connecting to that that Chicago thing that we were just saying too is is a lot of people when they run games, and it doesn't have to be World of Darkness, but uh, they they basically accept the entire universe as uh, the canon written in the book, except for wherever they're going to base the game from. Like you see that yes. happen a lot too, you know, like, like in Dungeons and Dragons, like maybe they, they pick a, a city that is mentioned in a and d book and they're like, this is the city where my adventuring party is going to start and be based out of. And then they change that city, but everywhere else they go is going to be canon by the books. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the reason you do that, I think, is because you want everything to be a personalized adventure for your players. You want it to be an ex- exploration of whatever it is that you are providing them, and you want it to fit them. So you are saying the canon doesn't apply because it doesn't have to apply. I think canon's kind of like the Catholic Church. Right. Like when when you when you start a game in a city, you just break off a little bit and you take what you need from that canon and you organize your own thing and then you run it. And so it's like it's like all these like re- little Christian breakoffs happen. Now that everybody I takes the parts of the canon that they like, just mm-hmm. like in uh, religion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly like religion. What? <laughs> I wonder where that word came from and why we used it ubiquitously. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I think in religion, it's doctrine. Yeah. Canon is also a specific Catholic term for the doctrine of the church, the canon right. law. So it does fit. <laughs> so you were talking about how that you almost had your mind changed by your discussion. Yeah, uh, there were people that were arguing strongly for the idea of the thing. Some of the things you all have mentioned is that at times there does need to be a set Bible of material where people know this is true. This is not true because without it, you can't meaningfully decide to change things or go into specific storylines and have people know enough to put the pieces together themselves. Like you guys were mentioning Erebus earlier and Erebus is a specific location in the Umbra in the werewolf, the apocalypse game. We've all been talking about it because we all know werewolf, the apocalypse, and we all know what Erebus is, but there are probably some listeners that have no idea what Erebus is. And that is because we know the canon well enough, the quote unquote canon well enough to not have to ask each other what we're talking about. So I think there is some benefit to saying that there needs to be a strict story or history, but again, calling it canon when the world is specifically written from the perspective of an unreliable narrator is also a problem with the world of darkness because you can immediately change it by just having a new narrator. 
Well, I'm oh. I am adamantly opposed to unreliable narrators in in role playing <laughs> yeah. game core books. Yeah, it is a thing I, that the World of Darkness taught me to despise, uh, simply because of this idea that uh, it it makes it so it creates so much gray. You know, am I in, am am we're suddenly talking about my interpretation of a character's interpretation of how a writer interpreted what the designer was telling so them. It, it actually <laughs> creates genre, but it's opposing genres in the same canon. Right. And it's, so what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, on that, that other podcast that I used to listen to that's ended, uh, the LARP cast, one of the things that they talked about all the time was the fact that anytime your NPCs lie to a player, you're destroying their ability to perceive the world. Because the only things that players know about the world is the things that we tell them. However you tell them, whether through props or acting or just physically saying there's a mountain over there. If one of the NPCs is lying to you or is wrong, frequently it means that they have less ability to perceive the world because you've distorted it. When you have an unreliable narrator, which I'm not as opposed to as Ryan is, but still when you have an unreliable narrator, you're blurring the picture of the world that they see. Yeah. And you need to do that very deliberately instead of just by default. And very carefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And people need to be aware. This is unreliable. This is actually true. So we can all agree on if If you're going to strictly read the books, you should be able to say, this part is true. We know that. This, it's in the red letters or something. You know what I mean? Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, one of the things with, with the gum belt that we've done is the history. We wrote the history with uh, unreliable narrators. Like we basically decided there's going to be the truth from the, as the government sees it and the truth as the people see it. And we just go back and forth and it is very, very clear that these two groups do not agree in where, where the truth is so that it, it leads you to kind of believe that the true genre lies somewhere in the middle in the actual text yeah. and not the the quote so it's yeah. so it's teaching you to critically read it's saying critically read this a little bit yeah yeah like we're, yeah. we're establishing right out the gate look in this section we're going to give you conflicting information and and the truth somewhere in between and you just need to navigate that however fits your game best right and I think that is a totally valid way to create a role-playing game book like I think that create story hooks for GMs to create an entire game out of. Right. And, and that and that's what the World of Darkness books didn't do is they use one they they usually pick one single character and follow that character through the book. Yes, it, and when they did have multiple characters it often wasn't clear enough that the this voice is a changed. different person. Yeah. 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 But we're kind of sticking right. we're kind of sticking on World of Darkness here though. It's true in in all games though, but like um, you know, I always think about Aberrant, not new Aberrant, mm-hmm. but back when Aberrant came out originally, um, the Aberrant book is, first of all, the Aberrant book is a collection of unreliable narration that is not even narration. It's unreliable propaganda, unreliable fake posters, unreliable, it's, it is it's for- It's very clever. It's very clever. Just and, and, it, and it is also incredibly confusing and overwhelming. Yes. Um, and like for my group, and some people love it, and and I think Josh, you love it, 
Um, I do. Yeah, it's my favorite role playing game of all time. So, <laughs> but but like my so gaming let's group, shit on it a little bit. My game, and well, no, I, I'm just telling the story. My gaming group could not grasp what is this world. We we literally could not uh, piece together enough of the story they, that the core book was trying to convey to us. It was too confusing. So maybe Josh is just smarter. <laughs> but we didn't get it. We were like, we had no idea what they were trying to say. And but we thought we we did look at it and go, this is at the time. There's a lot of different games out. We've got masks now and mutants, masterinds, and all these. But like at the time, it was hands down the greatest superhero die mechanic system ever written. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll fight you on that. Like I, it really was fantastic. You could do any power you could possibly think of. It was incredibly well thought out uh, and strangely even balanced. Um, and, and so what we did was we played superhero. We just made a superhero game. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, we didn't play Marvel or DC. It wasn't like the NPCs were Superman and, and, you know, Wolverine or whatever. But, but what we did say is, you know, okay, so this game takes place in Chicago and superheroes are a thing. There are superheroes like Superman and and the X-Men out there and you happen to be a superhero team. So let's make our superhero characters. And we use the aberrant rules, but we didn't use a lick of genre or canon from that book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've got to say as much as I love aberrant, I have only run it from the canon once. (laughs) <laughs> so it's uh, it's it is exactly that it is a wonderful rule set and it absolutely is a confusing world to walk into so yeah. i completely uh, appreciate what you're what you're saying ryan yeah and and maybe you know the the new the new one i have not seen the new aberrant book may be much clearer and so i'm, I'm not disparaging on that at all you know but the point is though genre and canon was certainly optional for us at that table <laughs> you know, and it's funny. I think people argue genre and canon, and they don't really think about just how often we throw pieces of it out. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's so easy for us to just throw this piece out, why do you think it's so hard for us to let um, others to let others throw pieces yeah. out? You know, it, it's strange. I do think we need to consider, though, how those two concepts are very useful when you're building a game, like at your table, that deciding what the game is going to feel like, the genre, and what is true in it are are very important tools in whoever your storyteller, DM, or organizer's uh, uh, toolkit. That's the bones in which you build your game around. Yeah. Uh, Only thing left is a rule set, and that's your whole game. You just said something really interesting that maybe maybe where we need to to live at as gamers is this idea that genre is the feel of the game, right? Does it feel like science fiction? Does it feel like a Western? Does it feel serious? Does it feel funny? Does it feel scary or whatever? And so genre is the, the feel of the game and canon is the truths of the game. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then when you sit down to run a game, we just have to all decide or the storyteller decides or the table decides, but you know, the one thing that's important is, uh, you know, deciding what the, the truths and the, and the facts are, or the truths and the feelings are. Cause we do, mm-hmm. we do that already. We decide 
the the feel of games like we sit down and we go okay so we're running a vampire game but just so you know this game is going to be you know superhero vampires like you know Mm -hmm. a a lot of some people hate that kind of game but they're out there like people run them all the time you know and then there's other people they sit down and they go this is going to be a deep dark political game right we but but the point is we decide those things when we sit down at the table we talk about that Mm -hmm. you know what kind of um and then but then there's like the the What's the canon? What are the truths to the universe? And and I guess if you don't have a conversation about that, then the default assumption becomes the books. And that's fair. I, yeah. I think it's fair. I think that it can be a problem, though, because we've all read the books and come up with different default assumptions. Yeah. And I think the books are designed for you to do that. Like most role-playing game books that are written well are designed so you are going to walk away, Jason, with a different idea than what Carrie's ideas are and what my ideas are because that's how you generate plot. That's true. That was Trixie the Memory Hound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an episode. Now we just need a motorcycle. Right. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, I'm... Sorry, she's walking away now. Um, like one of the, when when we, so it's interesting because as someone who is now, uh, like who is now becoming a game designer, right? You know, Ooh, I'm a game designer. I'm, I'm not a game designer. <laughs> I'm not a game designer until it publishes. That's, I feel like it's the difference between being a writer and an author. You know what I mean? Like, so, but. So are you a game designer enthusiast right now? I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I'm designing a game. I'm not a game designer. I feel like maybe I need Gosh, to. We have to beat him to the punch. Right. I have to beat him to the punch, Josh. You will. I need you to get done now. <laughs> so, but, uh, well, you know what? No, that's not true. Because technically, uh, technically, I'm. I, my name is in Vampire Wild West, so I can say I'm that's, a game designer. Oh, no, you're not, damn it. <laughs> you are a game. And anyway, anyone that designs a game is a game designer. And you have designed many games. Brian, <laughs> Carrie has designed many games. You are... All three of you are game designers in one form or another. So. I'm a game Aww. designer. So, but, <laughs> but having this conversation as a game designer is interesting because I'm thinking of things in ways that that uh, I wouldn't have thought of them when I was a player or just a storyteller or a, a DM, right? Like I'm thinking about things like, well, how did we broach that with the gun belt? You know, or I think about the design conversations that I've had with Ashley when we've talked about like, you know, well, well, what is this genre? You know, like what is canon? What are we going to tell them and what are we not going to tell them? Like, what are the things we know as designers and are we going to put that in the book or are we going to just lay the hints out and if they connect it, awesome. And if they don't, you know, maybe we'll do it in a splat book after we make a billion dollars with this, Yay! right? <laughs> Live the dream. Um, and so it's so that's kind of lends me a new perspective on how important is canon, even like you know, um, I don't know. Did, did you find did you find being a, a designer uh, alter kind of your your thoughts on this, Josh? Because Jason's yeah. not a game designer yet. No, not yet. <laughs> Soon, maybe we'll see. It might go down with the rest of the stuff in my drive. No, it's going to be successful, Jason. We're just going to run with that. <laughs> it has to be. Look, I've know, already the bought opposite. the linoleum <laughs> blocks to carve. So oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking about just not doing it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, Josh. Um, 
yeah, my opinion did change as I became a, a writer and game designer. And so far as I have literally written on things that I knew nothing about before I started writing on them. And I'm also the type of person that does a ton of research. So when I started on a project that I had never seen anything of before, I did as much research as possible to understand what existed already. But then as a game designer, you have to recognize that you're going to change bits and pieces of that. And you have the authority to change bits and pieces of whatever existed before. And when you're doing that, particularly if you're updating to a new edition, you just have to accept I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater and coming up with something completely new, or I'm using bits and pieces of that bathwater and maybe saving the baby and changing other bits and pieces. Like you just have to make that call and know that really you're not worried. You can't worry about Canon so much if you want to tell a good story. You almost, you almost value Canon less when you're creating canon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because you oh, said, this is just some somebody made up. You see, right. whatever I want. You saw, it's like, it's, <laughs> you're looking behind the curtain and you realize that it's just all bullshit, whatever they typed. <laughs> just, wait, wait. This guy had turkey tonight, so turkeys are the bad guys. That's, 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 that's I can bullshit too. Right? I, I, I think also that this whole idea of canon and genre has been affected too by uh, the revolution that we've seen in uh, the revolution, vive la, or vive la revolution. Okay, stop. Or whatever. Okay. Oh my. Uh, but I think, you know, this has been also influenced by this change in gaming. Uh, you know, I always talk about the, uh, the collaborative the collaborative immigrants and the collaborative natives, you know, this, and, but when gaming made this big shift to where so many games now are collaborative, like literally in most games of fate or like kids on bikes, I mean, you're literally creating the genre and the Canon right at the table before you, like they published a whole book of Canon. Uh, and the Canon is the Canon is whatever you decide at the table. Yep. <laughs> Right. And so I think that changes how we look at it too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to name drop here for just a second, just because <laughs> I better be a big it. one. <laughs> well, whenever fate is mentioned, I'd like to mention that the creator of the proto game for fate is called fudge. Right. right. And fudge was created by Stefano Sullivan, who was a, um, a, advisor for the gaming club that I was a part of when I was a student, not in college, but when I was in high school, he was the advisor for the college level uh, gaming club that I was a part of. Oh, that's badass. So I got to play fudge years before fate ever became a thing. Oh, fun. And it was awesome, by the way. Did, and the did, idea he make a, did he make a billion, that? did he make a billion dollars when he sold fudge to fate? He did not make any money because he sold it to someone else before oh. they created Fate. Uh. And he, he basically did not make any money on it as, at all, which is a sad truth. Yeah. But it's still like the idea of being able to create any genre you want. It was a core part of Fudge. Right. And it's a really interesting sort of like side story and the ascendancy of Fate into the gaming community. Hmm. It's kind of groundbreaking at the time, too. I mean, yeah. a lot of games now are like that, uh, but... Yeah, there were I mean, very few collaborative games before Fudge, and they weren't necessarily as collaborative. I mean, Fudge, because Fudge was fully 
you know? Right. Yeah. That's what you need to run for us next, Josh. I am terrible at running fudge and fate, so that's probably a bad idea. I actually no, actually, I think that makes it a better idea. <laughs> that's that's, or we do it and we all drink. Oh, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm I'm the same way. Like I as a as a game runner, my brain does not wrap well around collaborative gaming, uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of that is because of my my I am. I am a, not in the gaming sense, I am a story space teller, right? Like I, I've wrote short stories and fiction literally my whole life. I've been published, you know, and stuff. <laughs> I, I used to game with the guy who created Fudgy Wudge. But, um, but, the, but because of that, like be, because of that, it makes telling a collaborative, a, a story that's collaborative very hard for me because when I, because when I am telling a story as part of a game, that's my like that's how I'm playing, right? And so, like the the universe is my character. You have yeah. your character, and I have mine, and and I'm playing this, and uh, um, but I play them really well. But again, that's because I'm a teller of stories, and I create my pieces that we're all combining. I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. I play them badly? No. That's what I thought (laughs) she was going to say. (laughs) No. No, but I'm saying... Take that! (laughs) I've seen you run things on mushes. And mush is about as collaborative as you can get. And you're running plot on mushes. And you're letting people, you know, influence the plot. I I think the... but But the world is already canonized. Like we're talking, I mean, when we're talking about like kids on bikes, like, you know, I mean, when you're store, a storyteller for kids on bikes, you're literally letting your players decide the history of the town that you're about mm-hmm. to run, you know, whereas on a mush, that town already exists. I know okay. what I'm, I know okay. what I'm, I'm just telling. saying though, I think that you are, would be better at it that you might not be comfortable, but I think you would be better at it than you're giving credit for because you are able to do it at least in small doses when, when you run things on mushes. Okay. I was actually giving you a compliment. I appreciate it. <sighs> Never do that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wanting to get better at it because it seems way easier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like read hundreds of pages of canon or just be like, uh, what was the name of the town, guys? Right. Why don't y'all write that down? So, Josh, tell us, tell us what, what do you think now? about all of this, you know, canon and, and, and all that stuff. Have you, do you still stand by your original assessment? I'm probably not as strongly behind it as I was when I wrote it. I wrote it in a peak of like frustration. (laughs) And I think the idea of canon, particularly if you're running a game in an IP that is like Star Trek or My Little Pony because there's going to be a My Little Pony RPG coming out. There's already one, but there's going to be another one coming out soon. Um, that canon exists, and that canon needs to exist, and that's fine. But I think obsessively slaving to to the canon is something we need to get away from, and it's more helpful when we realize we're going to run our own stories and just use the canon as a leaping off point to develop whatever we want to develop. Yeah. I think yeah. the biggest takeaway from this conversation is if someone says on a Facebook group, Hey, I'm going to run 
My Little Pony in space. You say no. No, you say, <laughs> you say good for you. That sounds, if your players are going to have fun, that sounds great. Even if you hate My Little Pony in space, you're not playing the game. Shut up. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You, you know, I used to, back when I read a lot of books and then would watch movies based on those books, I would always get angry. Because, you know, the, no matter how great the adaptation is, it's always different. And the something I, I don't know if I read it somewhere or what, but basically the guy said, if I'm adapting a work, I should be saying something about it. If I just adapt the book word for word, I've accomplished nothing. Mm -hmm. I should have a point of view. I should have something to say. It's still art. sort of what... I said, not only is writing that book art, but so is making that film. And artists right. have to art. Yeah. And if it's a perfect facsimile of what you had in the book, you've really done nothing. And I feel the same way about a role-playing game. If I take the canon and I run it exactly the same, well, you could have just read the book. You could have just read the book and imagined what could have happened. If we're not being creative with it, we've not said anything. We've not done anything. We've just replicated the stuff that we've already seen changing the canon is part of the creative process by default and that i don't the only thing i would add to that is there's nothing wrong with running an adventure as written oh absolutely but you're going to tell a different story your players are going to help you tell a different story different things are going to happen automatically it changes the moment you hit the the, the table or right virtual or real or whatever your table is, it's going to be different. And that is the truth of it, the truth yeah. of role-playing games. And I think that's desirable because that's the fun. I almost – Playing I almost, to see what happens. I almost sorry, think – for No, yeah, I, I interrupted you too. It was mutual. We suck. Yeah, I know. I almost feel like for, for me where I'm at today, I actually think that – violating genre hurts hurts me as a player more than violating canon yeah strangely enough like it's kind of like uh um my famous story we all sit down to run a star wars game and halfway through the session we discover that the villain is a demon suddenly like i am playing my my science fiction fantasy game just became uh, a pseudo religious battle game my my storyteller used to argue that it's canon because at one point Han Solo says, well, then he'll see you in hell. Well, if hell exists, then demons exist. Blah, blah, blah. I used to know the guy, I used to know the guy who created fudge. Uh, and yeah. so, <laughs> well, I'm you, just you teasing. Know, really, I think that's awesome. That's why I make it fun of that. But the point is, yeah, though, like, jealous. I, I, I never felt like he necessarily violated canon. However, I like... Did, so did he he didn't go against anything that wasn't factual in the universe right somebody in the universe believes in hell and so it is fair to then extrapolate that demons could exist but sure. the genre the feel of the game the feel of star wars is not fighting demons right and so for me like it's it's weird but i can if you stay true to the feel if you stay true to the genre I can have fun with anything you throw at me, even if you don't, you know, don't quite do it exactly the way it, it's it's in the books. But if you make it feel, it's kind of like Star Trek Lower Decks. 
right? It doesn't feel true to you, it, so it can't be it doesn't real. F- it doesn't feel like Star Trek, so that's why it bothers me that it's in the books. Right? <laughs> I'm not bothered by the fact that it's in the books. I'm bothered by the fact that it doesn't feel right. So really, you're saying that if you're running a game, while it's, you know, you want to keep track of what's happened, if the things that happened feel like they fit, that's more important than what's actually written down. For, for people me. People will accept. I think that's probably true of everyone. People will accept things that are different as long as it feels like it fits. It feels true. It fits in the game. And it kind of, you know, we, Carrie and I have been talking about how we want it. We want to do an episode soon about how mechanics can make or break a, a game. And, and yeah, specifically absolutely. with this idea of like with Star Wars, for example, uh, the Westing Games D6 Star Wars game, for whatever reason, rolling 100 dice and shoot for like that always felt exciting and felt fast and felt like Star Wars. When Star Wars sagas came out and it was, a, a you know, the, the Dungeons and Dragons mechanics and your sixth level stormtrooper was fighting 10th level Sith Lords or whatever, like that never felt like Star Wars. Even though all of the books, the canon in those books, were all literally canon by Lucasfilm. I mean, this because this is before Disney nixed sure. all that stuff. And so, again, like you know, even mechanics can can ruin that feel, that that or genre make feel. the feel or make it. Yeah, you know, that's one of my pet peeves with a lot of the games that I've kickstarted over the last few years, or just read copies that I've gotten, is that um, sometimes their canon in the book is is interesting very interesting and it makes the book but the rules don't reflect it at all mm-hmm. they're not they're not mechanically like it'll just be like a so you'll have this really deep interesting story but then it's just a simple attribute skill system the same as everything else you've played and it's added nothing because the conversation of what makes genre has to be reflected in how the mechanics reflect the genre and even the canon. Like if it says that I can do this, then I should have a way of doing it. There should be a rule that tells me how that works. Right. And, and, and so, uh, so that's why I fall that way too. Like I, I just, I, for me, it needs to feel like what it's supposed to. And that's more sure. important than what it says on, you know, in splat book number 16, page 92. But you're also creating canon because if you say, you can if the, if there's a rule for blasting fire out of your hands, then people blasting fire out of their hands exists in your game. But it Therefore, doesn't because it it's, it's not in any of the books, though. But it it has to be because there's a mechanic for it. <laughs> right. You have created canon. So I, I guess it's part of how why gaming books are so different than other th- types of art is because you've got all these different things that work together that if they're not integrated properly, you can feel it. You can feel it as you try to play. Right. Uh, no, this, this, this said I could jump over a wall, but I rolled a six and that's a good roll and I fell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for me, the, the feel is more important than the details. Sure. Absolutely. Especially, and I guess that comes around too in the idea that the only way to win is to have fun. You right. know, like fun is a feeling. It's not, that's not found in the, in the mechanics. I mean, you well, know, directly in the mechanics. <laughs> a lot of genre is about creating expectations and you have to, you can subvert those expectations, but you can't like, like go against them. You know what I mean? You have to fulfill them even through subverting them. You right. can't just, they can't just not 
work. Yeah. So something that Jason just said just kind of triggered something. I kind of think that that gaming books are kind of, you were talking about the art of it. Yes. I actually think gaming books are a performance art. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Because you write this, but then it's with the expectation that people are going to react and do things with the art. Yeah. And, and like, I just like, suddenly that makes it very different. You know, it's different than just reading a book because you're taking that art and you're physically, you know, rolling dice according to the book. It's almost like a, yeah, I mean, literally the book is telling you what to do in some senses. And I, I don't know. I just thought that was really like a neat. It just no, I, I really like that because that makes, especially LARP, but anything, uh, any game, it makes a lot of sense. You're creating guidelines and people act within those guidelines and that's the art. It's like a is, uh, the script to a play, right? Like right? we've all seen, like we've seen all, all of us have seen Oklahoma done by a dozen different high school production companies mm-hmm. and every single production of Oklahoma uses the exact same script from the exact same script company and every one of those productions is completely different. Yep. Right. But does it feel like Oklahoma? Yes. Cause it the does. genre is the more important part than the canon. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that Oklahoma feels less like Oklahoma than a lot of those productions. Cause there's a fucking ballet in the middle of it for no reason. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> Well, Josh, this was your fault. Do you have any last <laughs> any last thoughts or words for us before we, we call this a night? No, I don't think I have anything else to add that hasn't already been said eloquently by all of you and by myself. So we're good. We're good. Oh, yeah. Do you want do you want to join us when we come back around at some point to do the mechanics episode? I saw you kind of I, perked up with that. I would love to have that conversation with you. I'm happy to be here whenever you are welcome to have me. Well. <laughs> So. That's so cool because I don't feel that way about episodes. your podcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow! I literally invited you, Ryan. <laughs> you, you've got to get Ryan out to do his take on the Wild West books because uh, he hates some of them and loves some of them. That's the dilemma with the Wild West books is they are like literally there's what six of them and they are like three of them are are my all time favorite White Wolf books and three of them are my least favorite White Wolf books outside (laughs) of outside of Gypsies. Yeah, (laughs) you shouldn't even you've got to bleep that or something. You can't even you don't even. It's the title of the book. The title. I know that the title of the book and it's terrible. Uh, What were you going to say, Carrie? I don't even know now. It was deep. <laughs> I'm sure it was. It was deep. And I was profound. actually going to say one of the Wild West books is actually the worst role playing book I've ever seen. Yeah, but that's is it Ghost Towns. Is that the yeah. one you're going to oh, say? It was Ghost Towns is terrible. Terrible. Yep. I actually have a copy of Ghost Towns that I bought years ago at our local used bookstore. Burn it. And uh... burn it. <laughs> yeah. You will get Probably. more use having getting heat from it. I thought that if they had just turned it into an adventure, they would have been way happier because that's what they were trying to write. You know what? Those books actually make me angry because, well, here's why. Because, Uh, because that's my favorite of all of the white wolf genres or lines, Right. because it's my favorite. And also because when it came out, everyone knew we're only going to get five or six books here. If that, right? right. And so, and for them to then just, literally piss a couple of those books away it makes me angry because if you're only going to get five or six books 
they need to kick butt, and and they didn't even try on a few of them. And that's well, so they knew you were gonna buy them anyway. They didn't care. I don't know. It just makes me mad. So. Yeah, that's fair. We're gonna review Tales from the Trails Mexico here uh, mm-hmm. very soon. So I have lots of thoughts about that. All right. Well, anyway, thanks so much for joining us, Josh. Is there a place? Uh, um, Plug your stuff. Yeah. Is there a place people can go to find you? Yeah, people can find me and my work at highlevelgames.ca. Yes, it's a Canadian company. I'm sorry. You can also no, don't find apologize. Me, um, you can also find me on Werewolf the Podcast, where I talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse with Carrie. Woo-hoo. It's a wonderful podcast, so I definitely recommend that. And you can also find some of the stuff that I do on the Inclusive Gaming Network, which is a Facebook group that I administer. Nice. And, you know, I didn't mention it earlier, but Josh's name is on Vampire the Wild West as well. So. That's right. <laughs> I was a, I wrote about 10,000 words on Vampire the Wild West, so people should go out and buy that. Yeah, that's like one evening for you, right? <laughs> when things really roll out well, yes, but it yeah. took me a lot longer on that particular book. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're really, really thankful to have you, Josh. Uh, please come back again, but not too soon. Okay. <laughs> I'll come back at a very appropriate time. How about this, Josh? Come well, back when you're ready to run stuff for us. Oh, oh. Next, right. next Josh episode, you heard that he's running one of his games. All right. One of his hundreds of games. I haven't <laughs> got to play in forever. Uh, Bye, right. Josh. Bye, Josh. Welcome to uh, Game Wrap. I hear a dog, and it's not Trixie yeah. the Memory Hound. It's not Trixie this time. It's one of the mini dogs that live here. You have miniature dogs? Yeah, well, and <laughs> I have several dogs of varying sizes. <laughs> not by choice. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, good times. Good times. Good times. All right. Well, uh, if, if you're listening, you know, for if you want to ever find out anything more about our show, you can go to the honor roll. You can go to honorrollpodcast.com. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash honorrollpodcast. Uh, we're on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We also have a Facebook group that's at facebook.com slash group slash honorrollpodcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at honorrollpodcast. And uh, we're not on Instagram. So. <laughs> Carrie's <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah, we should just do a picture die every week. <laughs> at Real just Fun Studios. Picture. That's that's Carrie's Instagram. Go follow <laughs> her there. Yeah, so that's where we're at. Uh let's let's do experience points. Cool. So, all right. Carrie, I'm gonna do you first. What? Yeah. So uh no, let's you promises. Get, you get one experience <laughs> You get one experience point. I'll hold you to that. You get one experience point for uh for attendance. So right. let's let's see what you get in the on the magic item chart. Oh, you get uh an original piece of artwork from the new Power Rangers role playing game. Oh. As drawn as drawn by me. Oh, <laughs> I'm. I think it can't be worse. I mean, <laughs> all right, Jason, you get one experience point uh, for attendance, and let's see what you get on the magic item chart. Mm-hmm. Oh, weird! I rolled the exact same thing. Yeah, uh, well, I'm okay with that. I'll trade but you, I'm Jason. I'm gonna hold you to it. Weird. I'll trade you, Jason. Weird, weird, weird. Um, weird. Weird. 
Wait, which Power Ranger real. do I get? I uh, you you don't get to choose. <gasps> oh, who's I your favorite? Pink. Is that your favorite Power Ranger? No, it's the only number name I can remember. Uh, I also remember White, but I didn't want to say, "Hey, I want that White Power Ranger." No, no, yeah. I'll just go with the pink one. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> my my favorite was always Billy the Blue one. Billy the Blue one. Mm-hmm. I watched it in the original Japanese only. Sorry. Yeah, you did. <laughs> didn't watch it at all i know you didn't <laughs> good times uh, all right well join us next week when our topic is sequest dsv the role-playing game until mm. next time i am ryan the curmudgeon carrie is the legend jason's the favorite and remember the only way to win a role-playing game is to have fun, fun. Yay. the only way to win is to have fun with Everything